Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our ministry when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 4, 12 through 25, called The Kingdom of Light. We're in the book of Matthew. Uh, we're moving verse by verse through the book of Matthew, and we are talking about the kingdom of light. Matthew chapter 4, as we continue to move through the chapters of Matthew, we have ta- called the larger study the gospel of the kingdom. And there's going to be three points, three main points that I'd like to share with you in this message. We're going to look at the light of the king, if you're taking notes, and I'll go over these one more time. The light of the king, the call of the king, and our response to the king. Three points, the light of the king, the call of the king, and our response to the king. The text is Matthew 4, beginning in verse 12. Let's pick it up together. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee, Matthew four thirteen. Leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. Those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Would you pray with me? Father, as we study the word of God, the word is light. And the psalmist prayed that you would illumine his darkness, Lord. We live in a dark world. Sometimes we look within and we can see that even our hearts can betray us. And we we see here a picture of a people sitting in the shadow of death. And I can't help but think of Psalm 23 and uh, how even when we deal with the shadows of death, your light shines, the hope of the gospel shines. And I pray that today as we look at our great king, the king of light, the king of glory, that you would illumine our souls, Lord, and you would show us what you want us to see and draw us closer to our king. And if we don't know him, help us to meet him for the first time today. Thank you so much for the light that you give us. Light is such a great gift. We don't think about it much, but you're the God of light. You're the one that said, let there be light, and there was light. We live in a place like Southern California where we have so many sunny days, but even that we can't take for granted. Would you show us the light of truth? Show us who you are. Make us a little bit more like you because we've been here. We pray all of that in Jesus' mighty name, all God's people said. Amen. First of all, we see the light of the king. Now, verse 12, Matthew 4, when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. Now, John the Baptist is the bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament. He was the herald of the king, and he came to bear witness to the light. If you hold your place in Matthew just for a second and turn over to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We have the record of Jesus before the manger. 
This takes us all the way back to the very beginning, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. This is all pointing to Jesus. John 1, 2. He was in the beginning with God. Notice all things, all things came into being through him, John 1, 3. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him, in Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. The light entered our dark world, and the herald of the light was John the Baptist. And John began to preach, as you know, and he preached a baptism of repentance and preparation. The king is coming. Uh, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. And so John, when he was asked, well, who are you? Are you the prophet? Are you the Messiah? No, 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 no. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Get prepared because the Messiah is coming. And so John bore witness to the light. The chapter goes on to say these words regarding the light of Jesus. Verse 12, as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word, that is Jesus, became flesh. He was incarnated there in Bethlehem, born in Bethlehem, and he dwelt among us, and we saw his light, or his glory. The glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The light of God arrived. Flip over to John chapter 3 for a moment. This is what Jesus says about this subject of his entering in the world. John 3.16 puts it this way, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. John 3.18. He who believes in him and Jesus is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men, sadly, a loved darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. And so here's the the story. The light of the world is Jesus. He comes into a darkened world, heralded by John the Baptist. And he is light of light, God of God. Uh, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. 1 John 1 tells us. So the God of light came into our dark and broken world, He came into the world, into Israel, at a time when Israel was under Roman occupation, being dominated by Rome, uh, wondering if deliverance would ever come, and the Messiah arrived. In the very history in which we 
are embedded. We can go back and mark the calendar of the world by his arrival. We have facts that surround his incarnation and those who interacted with him. And today we're going to see the story about the handoff, if you will, from John the Baptist to Jesus. And uh, if you flip back over to Matthew 4 for a moment, let's just take a look at that first verse for a second in verse 12. Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody and he withdrew into Galilee. Matthew 4, 12. Now, the synoptic gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and when you hear the word synoptic, if you ever come across that, it means that they're similar in content. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, not, it's not exact, but they tell a very similar story. The only one that doesn't, that's unique from the synoptics, is John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all pick up uh, the ministry of Jesus from this point, moving from the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness to this moment when he withdraws into Galilee with a slight variation in the Gospel of Luke. And what has happened here, and this is important for you to understand, is that the Gospel of Matthew is not chronological, but in many cases topical. And from the temptation of Jesus till this moment, about a year has gone by. So you, you need to know that for your chronology as you study the Bible, that a lot of events have occurred, but the synoptic writers have chosen not to highlight those while John has highlighted them. Let me give you an example. We learned that before Jesus came preaching repentance and called two sets of brother, Peter, brothers, Peter and Andrew and James and John, they had already met him. In fact, Jesus, according to John 1, had already renamed Peter. He said, you're Simon, I will call you Peter. Simon means something like to hear from the name Simeon. Peter means, do you remember? Rock. So he's already met the Messiah. These two sets of brothers have already received John's baptism likely somewhere around a year before. They were John's disciples. They've already recognized Jesus as the Messiah, but they go back fishing, and we'll talk about that in a moment. So a lot of things have happened as uh, a year goes by before John is finally thrown into prison, and John was testifying to the Messiah. During the first year of Jesus' ministry, John continued to preach. Their two ministries overlapped. As John's work began to phase out, John famously said, He must increase, I must decrease. So upon hearing of John's arrest, Jesus withdrew into Galilee. He'll do this, uh, we'll see this again in Matthew 14, 13, where John's death will cause him to withdraw again. John will languish in a prison for about a year. And uh, at this time, John had been taken into custody under Herod Antipas, thrown in a dungeon. And you will remember that uh, Herodias, his wife, uh, convinces him through a seductive dance of his daughter. And we'll, we'll get the story later, but basically John the Baptist loses his head for calling Herod out for his sin and confronting a political leader of his day. And upon hearing that Jesus, or that John was taken into custody, Jesus withdrew, not because he was afraid, but because he was working according to God's timeline. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. 
Would you please consider supporting Walk in Truth being on this radio station and podcast for at least $5 a month? As a thank you, we'll send you more content from Pastor Michael and the Walk in Truth team through our new Walk in Truth app. You will have quick access to our daily episodes. You can watch videos of Pastor Michael's most recent Sunday sermons and access to our bonus podcast and video series, A Step Closer. All this and more is available to you on our new Walk in Truth app as a thank you for your financial gift. Please become a financial partner of at least $5 a month. Visit walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Thank you to all our Walk in Truth financial partners. And be sure to check out our Walk in Truth app, available in your app store. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. At this time, John had been taken into custody under Herod Antipas, thrown in a dungeon. And you will remember that uh, Herodias, his wife, uh, convinces him through a seductive dance of his daughter. And we'll, we'll get the story later, but basically John the Baptist loses his head for calling Herod out for his sin and confronting a political leader of his day. And upon hearing that Jesus or that John was taken into custody, Jesus withdrew, not because he was afraid, but because he was working according to God's timeline. And so this is a little bit of the backdrop. There's one other thing I want you to see, and it's in uh, Luke's gospel. Let's turn over to Luke 4 for a second. One other stop that Jesus makes in this year is to his own hometown. And he goes into the synagogue at Nazareth, Luke 4. You can see that, just to pick up the connection in the synoptic gospels, the temptation of Jesus is in verses 1 through 12 in Luke 4. Matthew 4 and Luke 4 both have the temptation. We studied that last week. It ends this way, Luke 4, 12. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The devil had finished every temptation. He left him until an, a more opportune time. Look at Luke four fourteen. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. News about him spread throughout all the surrounding district and began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by all. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue and on the Sabbath, he stood up to read. The book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him and he opened the book, found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. This is all coming from Isaiah 61 to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. He closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Now Jesus begins to share some things, and for the sake of time, we won't go into all of those, but as he begins to share some things, the people are not real happy about what Jesus has to say. And they arose, verse 29, same section, cast him out of the city, led him to the brow of a hill, of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. Talk about a welcome in your own hometown, huh? Can you imagine going into your hometown church? You read a few scriptures. You say, uh, today this is fulfilled. And they say, uh, we've got an escort for you. <laughs> where, where are we going? 
We're going to get lunch? Oh, no. We're taking you to the edge of town. And they wanted to throw him off the brow of their hill in their own hometown. Scholars have pointed out that um, Jesus is the scapegoat. And in scapegoat imagery on the Day of Atonement, they had two goats Uh, One goat would be slaughtered for the nation and one goat would be literally called the scapegoat. And the high priest would lay his hands on the head of the scapegoat and he would confess the sins of the nation. They would release that goat out into the wilderness as a picture of God sending the people's sins away. Unfortunately, just like a good dog, uh, the, the goat often would turn around and come back to the temple area, ruining the picture because he was supposed to be carrying the sins of the people symbolically, if you will. And when he came back, it'd be like, oh no, <laughs> this ruins the picture. And so what they started to do is they would lead the scapegoat to the brow of a hill and they would throw him off to make sure he died and didn't return. Now, some of you who are animal lovers are saying, that's brutal. I get it. I get what you're saying. But here's the point. Jesus is the ultimate scapegoat. And the people of his own hometown looked to throw him off the brow of the hill in fulfillment of scapegoat imagery. And so here's what happens. But passing through their midst, verse 30, Luke 4, because of course he wasn't going to die this way. It wasn't his time. He went his way and he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. So what's interesting is you, is you begin to backfill some of the uh, things that occurred during this year that Jesus, uh, that ministry was going on, not recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There were several things that did go on. A few snapshots. Jesus uh, does the, the miracle of the water into wine at the, the wedding at Cana of Galilee. He cleanses the temple in John chapter 2. He has an inner encounter with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. We read some of that leading up to that encounter. And in John chapter 4, he meets the woman at the well. So there was a lot that went on in that year. Matthew's purpose is not to highlight those things. You may ask why as you turn back to Matthew 4. I think scholars would say because it doesn't directly relate to Jesus's kingship that Matthew is developing. And so these things are left uh, to be picked up in the Gospel of John and as we just read in the Gospel of Luke. And so Jesus now uh, withdraws into Galilee. He leaves Nazareth. We just saw that in Luke 4. He got basically uh, escorted out, although they wanted to kill him. He left Nazareth. This is Matthew four thirteen. Came and settled in Capernaum, his adopted hometown. If you go to Israel, Capernaum is right by the Sea of Galilee. It's a coastal town. And it's called the adopted home of Jesus because Jesus basically got booted out of his own hometown. So Capernaum became his adopted hometown. And so there he is in that area. He settles there, which is by the sea, notice. The region, the ancient tribes that were up there were Zebulun and Naphtali. And they were located, they were given land between the Sea of Galilee in the northern part of Israel and the Mediterranean Sea. So I don't have a map in front of you right now, but, but basically uh, those two tribes settled in the north and this was their territory. And so here is Jesus now 
And uh, he has come up into the northern part of Israel, into the area of Galilee. And this was prophetic. This was to fulfill, notice, what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. We've seen these these references several times in the birth narratives. Now, as Jesus is older, he's also fulfilling ministry. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, verse 15. You probably have this in all caps in your Bible or italicized because it's a, it's a quote. Beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. Those who were sitting in the land of, and shadow of death Upon them a light dawned. Now, this particular reference is from Isaiah chapter 9. So let's turn over there for a second. Look at the book of Isaiah. We'll try to put it up on the screen if we can. And as you go there, let me give you a little bit of the the backdrop of this famous prophecy. So uh, Israel as a nation has had a lot of ungodly leadership. And the position of the nation of Israel is, is interesting from a geographic and military standpoint. Above Israel is a nation called Syria, also known as ancient Aram. Aram. Then up to the northeast was a nation called Assyria. They were a, a dominant war machine. And below Israel was a nation called Egypt, which is still there today. You've been listening to The Kingdom of Light, Part 1 on Walk in Truth. That was Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 4, 12 through 25. And if you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many more podcast apps. Listen for free to Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email Pastor Michael with your questions you may have from his teaching today, or maybe you have a question about something else, or need encouragement, or prayer. Maybe you'd like to share how Pastor Michael's teachings have affected you. You can email Pastor Michael at contact at walkintruth.com. That's contact at walkintruth.com. And thanks for reaching out. You can also find our mailing address on walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael with the final word. Well, maybe you're new to the faith and you've heard a lot of people talk about Jesus fulfilling prophecy. And you might be thinking, well, uh, where are these specific verses? I've heard people say he fulfills hundreds of prophecies. And where are they? Well, you know, a lot of them are actually in the book of Matthew. This happened that it might be fulfilled, that it might be fulfilled. You know, one of the great things that you can do if you're newer to the Bible or if you're a seasoned Christian is find passages where Matthew says that it might be fulfilled and go back and look at the text that it fulfills. And you might say, well, how do I know? Well, there's usually a little side footnote or margin in your Bible. I think all Bibles probably have something like this. A study Bible will give you a little bit more. And you can go back and look at the original prophecy. Now, sometimes the prophecy is paraphrased, or it may come from the Septuagint. What's that, Pastor Michael? That's the Greek version of the Hebrew Old Testament, which is often quoted in the New Testament Gospels, specifically in Matthew. So this is how you do it. I remember one time um, my wife and I were studying Psalm 22, laying in bed. It's okay, we're married. And uh, (laughs) we were looking up the Old Testament verse and how it was fulfilled in the death of Jesus. So we were going through Psalm 22, uh, where it says, My hands and my feet were pierced. 
written a thousand years before Jesus, you know, walked the earth. And then we went to the fulfillment as Jesus, you know, is dying on the cross. It's that kind of thing. Where are these prophecies? Well, some of the big ones are in Psalm 22. If you're looking for addresses, Isaiah 53, 52 and 53, Micah 5, 2, where Jesus would be born. There, there are lists of these prophecies that are available, and I, I can't exhaust uh, the time in giving to them to you right now. But a good place to start would be even looking at the fulfillment language in Matthew and going back to the prophecy. If you have questions about this, you can reach out to us at walkintruth.com. Send us a note, and uh, we'd be happy to try to answer your question. You can always call as well, 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. And a pastor would be available to you Tuesday through Friday, business hour, specific time, 844-48-TRUTH. If you have questions about the Bible, and we can help you with some of these things, one more time, 844-48-TRUTH. God bless you. We'll see you right here tomorrow. And don't forget that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. We appreciate our Walk in Truth financial partners. You contribute to our ministry, broadcast, and podcast. As a thank you for your support, we've created the Walk in Truth app. you got to check it out. It's available in your app store. If you'd like to become a Walk in Truth partner, any amount is appreciated. You can now give on the Walk in Truth app or visit walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 4, 12 through 25, called The Kingdom of Light. I'm Mike Massaro. On behalf of Pastor Michael Lance and Living Truth Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.